Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Good. Good morning. Welcome to the Feather. I forgot where it was. Welcome to the Feather. <laughs> The Feathered Desert. Um, this is Cheryl and Kirsten's with me and today we're going to talk about we're doing Corvid part three which is the American crow and I have a fondness for crows. So when I when I was about 10 years old I spent a summer on my uncle's farm in Nebraska and he grew corn. My cousins and I helped make scarecrows. We picked corn to sell at the fresh picked stand and we would run through the cornfields playing hide and seek. We would also have a picnic underneath a scarecrow in the cornfield. It was a particular scarecrow. The crows liked this part of the field and there was no corn snakes, which you have to watch out for in corn um, fields, or mice. And I would fe we would feed the crows the crusts of our PB&J sandwiches. So there was quite a gathering. We'd feed them Fritos, apple slices, and be because all we really wanted was the soda pop and the Twinkies. And yeah. trust me, there was a crow or two that would try to steal oh, I'm it. sure they'll take that Twinkie. Yeah, they take the Twinkie, <laughs> too. Now, having said that, and um, you guys have that picture, the American crows are very familiar over much of the continent. They're large, intelligent, all-black birds with hoarse, kind voices. They are common sights in treetops, fields, roadsides, and, the inhab and inhabitants. They're ranging from open woods and empty beaches to town centers. They usually feed on ground, on the ground, excuse me, and eat almost anything, typically earthworms, insects, other small animals, seeds, fruit, and also carrion, and occasionally trash. Yeah. So Kirsten is going to um, lead us into um, how you know what you're looking at when it comes to a crow. Yes. Uh, that's the biggest question that people always have is how do you know it's a crow versus a raven? Um, first of all, you can look at your region um, because crows and ravens tend to not overlap. If you yeah, have crows, then you generally won't have ravens. If you have ravens, you generally won't have crows. Now, that is not... 100% all the time. There's always an exception to the rule, but they generally don't play nice together, so they tend not to live together. So, um, of course, what Cheryl described sounds a lot like a raven. Do check out our Family Corviday Part 1 podcast. That is all about ravens. I'll tell you even more. Um, but there are some differences that you can look at, too, besides regions. First, ravens are much larger than crows. They really are much larger. You're going to look at the raven and be like, oh, my God, that's the biggest blackbird I've ever seen in my life. They're pretty big. Uh, crows will not get that reaction from you, that, that instinctive, whoa! Um, so ravens are, of course, black, and they are larger. We have a lovely, hopefully it picked up, lovely crow call that just came on yeah. our CD there. Um, but ravens will have a thicker bill, um, which is harder to tell when they're far away, but it's, 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 it's denser. It's much taller up by their face. Um, more pronounced bristles on their, uh, over their nares as well. And then um, it's more powerful. They're going to be able to beat into something a bit more than a crow will. 
Um, crows are much smaller. They can be about the size of a dove. And we're not talking like an Inca dove or anything. We're talking like a, a nice um, Eurasian collared dove. Yeah. So a, a hefty dove. Um, in flight, the this is the big one. Uh, the tail feathers of the crow will actually fan out because its feathers are shorter and all the same length. So you're going to see more of a square when they're flying that's going to be flat. A uh, raven's tail is going to give you a V, a V shape. A good way to remember that is raven V shape. So that's a good way to tell also. Often ravens are usually seen in pairs. Um, unless you live in an area where you have a lot of dense forest and some good um, environment where they can get a lot of things that they need, you're not going to see a whole bunch of ravens in groups. Usually they will always be in pairs. Um, and crows flying style is unique. Um, very patient, methodical flapping. Um, ravens will do the same thing, but they tend to glide a bit more. Um, and crows also, but um, you'll see this methodical flapping that is broken up occasionally with glides. It kind of almost looks like a rowing motion, the way they flap. So that's a good way to tell the difference, true. Also, crows are very social. You're going to see more of them at one time than you will ravens. Um, sometimes they will actually form flocks in the thousands. It's one of the reasons that there are still places in this country that you can legally crow hunt because people think that they are a nuisance. Um, it's also the reason that it's called a murder of crows because all of them together sounds like someone's being murdered because <laughs> they're all talking over each other. Um, but generally you will find them in pairs and they will long-term pair bond. That's very similar to ravens as well. Um, and so crows are monogamous. Crows live in family groups, which will include parents, older siblings, and the young babies, which is different than ravens. They tend not to live in those family groups much uh, too long. Uh, crows will actually live with their parents for up to four years. That's quite a long time for a bird to take care of babies, um, but they will uh, separate to establish their own family. Um, but they'll usually stay nearby. Crows are very social and they share intel on new feeding sites found during the day, which is one of the reasons when they go back to these big roosts at night, they're all cackling. They're telling everybody where the good food is. So it's kind of like us with Yelp. We're telling everybody <laughs> where the good food is. Right, they're giving a review. Yes. So crows are intelligent as many of the corvids are. That's why we decided to do a whole um, series on them. And very, very adaptable, which is one of the reasons we can see them in city centers. They also mimic other animals, which would kind of throw you for a little bit of a loop. But if you have barred owls that live near you, um, if you have one that lives close to human civilization, they'll mimic your dog, they'll mimic your cat, they'll even sometimes mimic humans. If we're whistling or we make loud noises outside a lot, they'll pick up on that and they'll mimic that. So just how intelligent are crows? Well... So there's a fable called The Crow and the Pitcher, and it tells the story of a very thirsty crow that dropped stones into a vessel to raise the level of the water up to the point where the bird could dip its beak for a drink. While obviously the crow knew the goal, raise the water, but did it carry out a detailed plan gained by insight, or did it try something and then build on the results of the innovative stone drop? That's a good question. The truth is, they have insight. So new Cal Caledonian crows seem to understand such complexity. Then plan and act appropriately to score a meal. And Kirsten's going to tell us how re researchers found that out. Yes. Oh my God, it's amazing. 
So how did researchers find this out? That the crow in the picture fable is actually true and was probably written by someone watching a crow do it. <laughs> uh, research challenged crows in a three-stage problem that required the birds to get food by first pulling up a string that held a short stick tool. Then we've got to use the short tool to get a longer stick tool. And then finally, we have to use the longer stick tool, uh, stick tool to get our goal. And you're thinking there's no way. Absolutely no way that a bird is going to be able to do this. Yes way! The bird accomplished it. They actually had to use that big long stick tool to fish the food out of a hole in a box. I mean, to tell you the truth, I think I probably would have given up. This is a lot of steps. I just don't know if I'm... <laughs> just wait, they're going to feed me eventually, well, right? They don't want me to die in here. So. You watch the videos on the internet and you can actually see the crow formulating a plan yeah and i mean they don't just, just jump crow, on it yeah it's like they're doing more than one crow yeah and they don't just jump on it right away they actually sit for a minute and they kind of look at everything and then they start pulling and um testing things out so what research discovered is that these birds are organized they organize a sequence of behaviors to follow a mental plan so just like we said they're not jumping right on it they are looking around they're testing things out before they come up with this plan they demonstrated insight Insight, people, insight, which is the ability to see far enough into a situation to fully grasp the problem and the solution. As human beings, we can't sometimes do that. But these guys could do that. These corvids used at least two complex cognitive processes to reach goals that they understand. Crows are able to use rapid associative learning to shape simple actions into complex behavioral sequences. And insight allows plans to be crafted from memory, appraised mentally, and then carried out. So that's two, that's really difficult things to do right there. The combination of associative learning and insight may explain the uncanny abilities of crows to anticipate future events. We should probably do that ourselves. <laughs> yes, yes. This, the, whole, the intelligence of the crows, uh, of the bird, uh, it just blew me away. It's mind-boggling. It really it is. is. And it's one of the reasons that um, we don't get along with them is because yeah. sometimes there's, they understand us more than we understand them. We can us <clears throat> they can usually outwit us. Yes. So And there's, there's more. So um, crows have the ability, to, as Kirsten said, to anticipate and prepare for, this, for the future and stash food away. So there's... A, Observant. So one of the books I read was um, The Gift of Crows by John Marsloff. And mm -hmm. he had students observe crow activity of fairies going across the Pugent Sound in Washington. And on Wednesdays, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, they served breakfast. There mm. was food trucks there that came before the, the fairies left. Nice. And there was one man there who fed the sausages out to the crows. Ah, well, he wasn't there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, the crows stashed food on Mondays and Wednesdays because they knew they weren't going to have food on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Nice. They might even stashed on Fridays because they knew they weren't going to have food on the weekend. But anyway, it was observed that they were eating a piece of sausage and putting one aside. Eating a piece of sausage and putting one aside. And they didn't show up to the fairies on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Why? Because the man wasn't there to give them food. So that just shows that they have the ability 
to um, anticipate and prepare that they're thinking ahead. Yeah. So crows understand who they share their landscape with, and that means animals and humans. And so there was um, a study also done at a at a park up up in Washington, where there was an again a food vendor who fed bread to the uh, geese, the Canada geese mm. that were by this pond. All right. So the crows discovered that if they put leaves over the bread pieces, the geese didn't eat them uh -huh. because the geese didn't see it because the geese think out of sight, out of mind. Right. But the crows figured out that the geese were I mean, they understood their competition. Right. So they would place a tree leaf that fall on the ground over the bread, the breadcrumbs, and then they would be able to eat the bread that they'd hidden. Oh, it's amazing. It is amazing. And crows practice the art of gift giving. And I love this one. This is my favorite thing about crows. And I just wanted to stick this in there because their gift giving isn't necessarily what what uh, we would expect but they like shiny objects so they will leave shiny objects for people they're uh, generally humans that they're fond of or that has shown some kindness to them and yes. this is another thing that isn't anecdotal it's actually been observed by researchers yeah and um, they collect the gifts so they acknowledge kindness and fondness with humans by gift giving. Yes. Now, if that doesn't make them relatable to us, I just don't I know. know what oh my will. God, it's just amazing. And um, Kirsten's going to cover uh, fun. Yes, fun, fun, fun. So crows have actually been documented and observed rolling down a hill, whether it's snowy or grassy, using plastic lids and paper plates as sleds. Yes, you're 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 not mishearing me. They are using plastic lids and paper plates to slide down snowy slopes. Uh, the crows will play tug of war with each other using sticks. They will actually tease each other and other animals. And crows and ravens have been observed playing with toys left in a backyard. You guys have maybe seen it yourself if you live with crows in your area. Um, also, if you've ever visited Yellowstone National Park, where they have a large... Um, uh, wolf population and then ravens follow them sometimes they will pull the tails of the wolves just just to see what happens because maybe it's been a nice good hunting day everybody's got a full belly and now it's time to play they'll actually just pull on their tails and then hop away and see what the the wolf is gonna do so they're not doing it to get the wolf to really do anything they just want to see what's gonna happen so so interesting we're not the only ones out there that enjoy a good um, sled down a uh, sloping hill so what exactly does this mean? Because to me, it just means that they're another way to be more relatable, but there are scientific things that this means. Actually, play builds memories that allow older birds to live and breed better than a bird that does not play. So just like we wanna encourage our kids to get out there and experience things in play, that's what we're doing. So if you have a crow, if you come from a family of crows that doesn't play as much, that inhibits your you probably won't be quite You're as successful. Yeah. Yes. So the same parts of the brain and chemicals working in our brains when we play are the same influences that are working in the Corvid's brain when it plays. So just another relatable thing for us. 
and play works the brain. Uh, players must coordinate emotional and physical responses to their living and material environment, as we know. And birds that play craft critical neural connections among essential parts of the brain, involving memory, emotion, sensory development, and being able to weigh the cost and benefits of the activity. That's kind of why they say we play, is to, is to learn things about the environment. Sometimes it's just because it's fun. <laughs> but yes, it does help your brain to actively uh, learn new things. So these mental abilities are useful in guiding a crow or raven through assertive, interactive, deceptive, and appeasing interactions with its mate, with its offspring, its neighbors, and associates encountered while feeding in and commuting and, and roosting. So, I mean, it's just, it's like a society. It's, they've got their own little, I even hesitate to say human, but they've got this big social society that they're learning how to be involved in, and it just helps them to survive so many different things. And play for crows builds a better brain that is more creative and flexible, which helps the crow to adapt and adjust to its surroundings. And that's one of the other big differences between crows and ravens, too. You'll often see crows playing with objects that they don't really know what it is, whereas ravens, especially when they're adults, are super hesitant to come near an object they don't know what it is. Whereas crows are kind of like, well, let's go check it out. Let's go see what's going on. Yeah, curiosity killed the cat. Well, curiosity... <laughs> yeah, curiosity <laughs> could the, kill the crow, yeah. but <laughs> curiosity the keeps the crow um, really learning and adapting. Yes. And we did just talk about emotions, and some of you people are going to eat emotions in a bird. Cheryl has some evidence for you that birds can have emotion. Yes. So the third um, attribute that I wanted to um, highlight with crows try and make them completely total total totally relatable is grief it has been observed that crows and ravens routinely gather around the dead of their own species and so what does this tell us about these corvids first of all that they recognize the, the fact that they recognize that this is a crow or this is a raven and they understand they recognize their own kind yeah and they do not touch or disturb the body which is in contrast to how they would react to another species of d dead body because crows eat carrion these very social birds are taking a moment to note how the social how the, their social structure that they live in will change and how they fit into it now so maybe it's dad maybe yeah. it's mom you know maybe it's I don't know, grandpa, yeah. because they do live in those family groups. Noting the possible potential dangers that took place, uh, that took the life of their kind, uh, scientists are convinced that crows and ravens gather around their dead because it's important to their own survival and that they learn the causes and consequences of another crow's death. This is just uh, yeah. really, really fascinating. Immediate families such as mates and relatives do more than the loss. But in the fast-paced world of a bird's life, it may not be compatible with the extended grieving that we experience. A quick acknowledgement of death and a rapid social adjustment followed by the continuation of life may be all that's possible. And so they're very practical in, in, in how they approach it. Yeah. So when confronted by death, crows are restrained, thoughtful, and on occasion, passionate. And um, I just really wanted to point out that crows are, corvids, are nothing short of amazing. And when they, when, and I wanted to make them relatable because when, 
when an, a, a bird, okay, is more relatable to us, we tend to care about it in a different way. Yeah. And so I just wanted to highlight those things that we can relate to about this crow. So that when they mention crow hunting or the negatives about crows, we wince instead of cheer. Yes. So they have earned our respect and admiration. They deserve our thoughtful consideration when we encounter them in their world or ours. Because this is a bird that is able to live in both worlds successfully. And crows have us figured out. Yes, they definitely do. And books. I'm going to put these okay. on our um, show notes. But yes. just a shout out, some of the best books that I've read out there is Gifts of the Crow by John Marsloff and Tony Angel. In the Company of Crows and Ravens by the same authors, and then Crow Planet by Leanda Lynn Haupt. These are all amazingly good books that will give you even more insight into crows and will honestly just change how you feel about them. 